What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 63 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, what a fun year 2019's been. It's coming to a close soon. Got some Christmas shopping to do. I don't know about you, but I probably ought to be listening to this while I'm either ordering on Amazon or running to the store to pick up something because I definitely are, I'm a little short on the gifts in. But today I've got a gift for you. And that gift is getting to meet Terrence Chapman. Terrence is currently the president and CEO of Equip. He is uh, an amazing leader, not only leading John Maxwell, uh, his nonprofit in there at Equip, but man, he brings in a history of leadership from Coca-Cola to Johnson & Johnson. He has been an entrepreneur. He's been an executive in large, large companies. It was such a blast to sit down with Terrence, not only for the podcast, but over lunch as we just got to know each other. He has a passion to help leaders not only as a visionary and setting strategy, but as a friend and coming alongside them to help be the best that they could be. And as much as we enjoy talking about leadership, which we did, and he has such a great view from his journey and from what he knows and has learned, but he has a passion for people to know Jesus and to be the best spiritually they could be. Part of the way you may not know Terrence is his passion for family discipleship training. He has poured into over 100,000 parents and pastors all over the globe, helping them be the best in their families that they could be. In his book, Do Your Children Believe? Man, it just lays out a great framework to make sure that parents have done all that they can to help their children. We've got links for all of that in our show notes. I hope you'll go visit, but you are going to love my time with Terrence Chapman. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you're doing today, but would you pull up a chair and would you listen in to my time with the amazing leader, an incredible man, Mr. Terrence Chapman. Terrence, thank you so much for joining us today on this episode of Lynch with the Leader. It is an honor to have you, buddy. Well, it's, it's Mike. It's so good to be here, and uh, uh, what a beautiful uh, sunny morning uh, here at uh, in Atlanta. Uh, so, hopefully, we'll bring some sunshine here on this conversation as well. Absolutely, you've got an incredible background. We're going to walk through a little bit, Terrence. We had the privilege of meeting over lunch one day, and I got to hear a little bit about your background and your story today. Right now, you are with Equip leading uh, equip across the world for one of America's greatest leaders, John Maxwell. Fill me in a little bit on some of the highlights getting to this point today. How has God sort of traced your steps to prepare you for what you're doing today? You know, that's a great question. I look back on it. Sometimes we can see, you know, further when we look backwards, <laughs> which I look right. forward, we can't see far. 
you know, I look back on the preparation. It really started at an early age uh, in, in the home and had great parents, uh, you know, mother who is the epitome of love. I think if you had a picture of love in the Bible, you probably would see her. Mm. Uh, sometimes she loved so much. <laughs> I'm like, Mom, what are you doing here? Uh, Dad, you know, he was just this ultimate care business guy, had uh, just a vision uh, that we could make a difference in the world. He challenged us that this world and what we do in life is bigger than us uh, to, to understand that people had value uh, and that we could add value to people. And that could change people's lives and bring hope to them. So with that early kind of foundation, it carried forward on to the business side of things. And so I started my corporate career uh, with just some amazing organizations in corporate America. Uh, had some great training in corporations like Johnson Johnson, Citibank, and Coca-Cola to name those top organizations. And for 15, 20 years, I served um, within those respective companies. But what was more important, I saw um, and, and walked with leaders, influential leaders in the marketplace, who not only knew how to lead organizations, but their foundations was based on a value system that was greater than theirs. Mm. For example, in Johnson & Johnson in 1982, one of the most prolific incidents occurred, uh, the Tylenol incident, where there was tainted cyanide uh, capsules. Seven people lost their lives. Uh, we lost 94% of market share in 24 hours. But yet, our CEO founder, Dr. James Berg, rested on our credo, which was a set of principles that we live by in our organization. And in three months, a long story short, uh, we were able to recapture that 94% share plus. But what, we, what the lesson I took away from that is that Dr. James Berg, when we were talking about the, uh, the programming and how we were going to recapture and so forth, and one individual brought up an issue, we're going to invest $150 million to re regenerate and recuperate what we lost. And he says, listen, Never again do I want to hear about the price of this of this uh, of this project because one it's never the wrong time to do the right thing. Mm. And so I remember that principle: it's never the wrong time to do the right thing. And I believe the right thing, uh, as we look at corporate America, is that we have to treat our people like they have intrinsic value; that they're an asset. They're the greatest asset I believe in the organization. And I believe if we can add value to people daily, we can make a difference in the organization in their life. That's good. That yeah. is good. You know, it's funny because you were in all kinds of different industries. I mean, you've you've sort of stepped in and out of different, and you spent a season at Focus on the Family, correct? Yeah, I sure did. Work with Dr. Dobson and Jim Daly, and and uh, we, I had everything outside of broadcast. So I was trying to take what Jim, uh, Jim Dobson did on the on the phone lines and on the. Uh, radio uh, side and make them reality, right? And so uh, just thinking about that process and the way that came about, I was searching for what the Lord may have me do to make a difference. And I want to encourage you because wherever you live, work, play, and worship, the Lord can use you in a mighty way. So it's not like, you know, you have to leave corporate America or leave whatever you're doing to go, you know, form a church, be a pastor, whatever. But in this case, the Lord took me to focus on the family as a step out because I had on my heart to have an impact in the family, in the home. And the reason is, uh, although I was being quote unquote successful in business, 
I was challenged. I believe I was struggling as the spiritual leader of my own home. Mm. And so my wife challenged me one day. We went off to our anniversary trip we normally go to. We talk about, you know, where are we, where we're going and things like that. And so she challenged me. Like My kids were between 10 and 13 years old. She says, are the kids prepared to defend their faith after high school? Wow. They knew the Lord, but the question was much deeper than that. Mm. Are they prepared to defend their faith? And we talked through that and came back that, no, they're not prepared to defend their faith. Now, remember, this is a time where 64% of our youth are walking away from the church and anything that we believe in after high school. And so that question was very profound. And she said, well, I want you to go home, think about it as a spiritual leader. And I want you to come back in a couple of weeks and tell me what you're going to do about it. I said, wow. Well, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> <You know? laughs> anyway, I be, the reason I tell that story, I began to write out uh, what I felt the Lord was calling me as a spiritual leader of my home to put into practice that I was failing to do. That changed my life dramatically. And so that took me to some training and then eventually to focus on the family and eventually to writing my book, Do Your Children Believe, which is published. And, um, and we've trained now over 100,000 parents on how to raise their kids with biblical principles and values that lead them towards a greater purpose. And so uh, focus was a very instrumental uh, step in my journey. And, um, and then that took me uh, as I think about this this career, uh, I never imagined that I'd be at a place like a focus on the family or an equipped leadership or John Maxwell organization. But the Lord has prepared me for this time and this day of service. What, what's the biggest thing you got out of that? So your wife poses that question to you. What are you going to do to be the spiritual leader of our home? Man, you had an incredible business background. You had an incredible sports background um, with athletics You've always been, it seems just in our lunch conversation, even that day that God not only puts you in a position, but then you rise in leadership while you're in that position. Why was rising in leadership in the position of the home, maybe the hardest one of all, and maybe the one you felt less equipped than all the others? What would you say? You know, we talk about who would equip everything rises and falls on leadership. And that applies to the home as well. You know, parents, we must be the spiritual leader of our home. You know, Ephesians 6, 4 talks about fathers really speaking to parents. Don't exasperate your children. I was getting an A-plus in that, by the way. But it says says to train and instruct them in the Lord. And that training and instruction is, in my mind, is really around family discipleship. Mm. And so I was spending a great deal of time. You know, I, I was doing probably most of the things that, that we do. We were attending church regularly. We were, you know, reading our Bibles and things of that nature and praying together and praying over meals and things of that nature. But see, there's one thing to know of God and there's one thing to know God. And so I was doing, you know, I was teaching my children what I knew and and the basic is, you know, we perish because of lack of knowledge. So Mm. I taught them what I knew. I didn't tell them what he wanted me to really bring forth. And so as the spiritual leader of the home, the thing that I realize is that for some reason they they watch the dad and they, they follow the dad more so. There's never a time in a child's life they don't that they don't crave the love of the father. They don't crave the the acceptance and the affirmation of, of the father. And my kids were getting that from me. In fact, 
they were getting that so much from me. I, I never missed any of their events or anything of that nature, but they were beginning to idolize us and not idolize the cross. Mm. In other words, I wanted them to, to it's, a, it's about the father, it wasn't about me and my mom. I'm going to fail them. I'm going to fall short. But I had to teach them who he is and what he's done on the cross. Not necessarily what we are to do. We, we think about Christianity, what we are to do all the time. But it's not about what we do. Mm. It's about what he's done on the cross. And I had to teach them that. And the love that they had to, them themselves had to get from that what grace is really all about, what that love is about. And then, as Luke says, once we fall badly in love with that, that compels us to do, as James 1.5 is encouraging us. So our do is motivated out of the love for the Father, from the Father. So uh, I was teaching them really what I grew up in, which was performance theology. Yeah. And I was doing the best I could with what I had. I just didn't have much. <laughs> so, mm, absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and so uh, I had to bring them from this performance theology way of thinking to this grace theology way of thinking. And it's what, about Jesus Christ. What would you encourage? Uh, let's say there's a there's a dad listening today and he goes, man, I don't even know. I don't even know where to start. I, you know, I'm going to church now. Maybe I've gotten in a small group. But man, I hear my pastor talk about being a spiritual leader. Or I hear, you know. Uh, my my small group leader talk about being a spiritual leader, and I don't I don't even know where to start. Yeah. What what encouragement would you give them about some tools that you got? Maybe even we'll have a show note link to your book in the in the notes as well. What encouragement would you give somebody like that, Mr. Terrence? You know what? We're all in the same place. Welcome to the crowd. <laughs> you know? Isn't that the truth? We we we. we uh... I would just say be encouraged, and, and uh, the Lord has given us 66 great books <laughs> of instructions of his word that will lead us, guide us, and direct us. Number one, get into his word. That's what he took me. He took me to his word, and I began to open it up and say, in fact, I challenged my wife. I said, I am the spiritual leader at home. She says, well, I don't know. In fact, I'm, I'm not even sure if you have a personal relationship with God at this point, the way you're at. Wow. And that just hit me between, you know, right between my eyes. And I said, you know, I said, if I don't have a personal relationship with him, then the H-E-L-L, you know, yeah. with him, I'm moving on. He says, and, he, and he just quietly convicted me is all I can tell you. And he says, do you really know who I am? You know about me, but do you know me? Mm -hmm. And that took me into his word. And I said, Lord, I want to know who you are greater than I think I know who you are. And so that took me into 66 books. And the first year I wanted to just read it saying, Lord, tell me who you are. Asking one question, Lord, who are you? Genesis revelation. And that, that took me to the second year of saying, well, who am I? I tell you, that was a very challenging year because to see myself for the, for the way he saw me and the way he looked at me and the love that he had for me, it was a different perspective for me, but I also saw my, my deep depravity. And so that year was a very humbling year. But the third year was very refreshing. I said, well, Jesus, who are you? I want to get that, get that right because you're my Savior, but what does it mean to be my Lord? And so that year we just went through the book through that, writing down anything and everything that I, I, I felt in my spirit. And then the fourth year was how could you use me? Hmm. And that's when my journey began to just flourish in a totally different way. So I would say, dads, be encouraged that, number one, you are vital to the spiritual growth in your home. Two, remember what a servant leader is all about. Three, 
he's given you some amazing gifts to pour into, to train and instruct in the Lord, because that's your legacy. It's a legacy that's beyond you for generations and generations to come. And you know what? Yeah, we may not be as, as maybe talented or maybe as, you know, maybe our prayer life isn't as strong or maybe uh, we neglect, uh, you know, uh, at times being that spiritual leader. But, Dash, let me just encourage you that the greatest gift you can get mm. is to show your wife the love and to show your children the love that's inside of you, that's bigger than you. And that love is from the love of a spirit that's greater than you. Mm. And the return is forever. Amen. So it's my greatest legacy is to, to lead a life uh, where I poured into my family, poured into my marriage that will make a difference, not just for this generation, but for generations to come. And do you ever really fail at it if you're trying to do it? I mean, is there really a failure if you're going, man, I'm, I'm setting out to be that. Can you fail if you're trying at it? You know, if I'm failing, I like to fail forward. So, That's it, baby. You know, I'm with you. I, and so when I fail, you know, when I fail forward, I just fall right on my knees. That's good. And it's nothing wrong with falling on your knees and saying, Lord, I, I don't know how to do this. It's okay. Yeah. You know, I, I, I just don't know how to do it. I'm trying to do the best I can. And Paul even said, look, I'm trying to do this right. I just can't seem to get it right. Uh, but I'm trying to do it right. You know, as long as the heart and the will is aligned with the Father. Hmm. He's already interceding on our behalf. And he's saying to the father, this is my son. I know him by name. And so I have rest and contentment there. You know, I believe that every person have the potential to influence another person. And so one of the greatest ways we can influence another is to let them see our frailties, let them see our faults, let them mm -hmm. see our, you know, we can fail forward. It's okay. Uh, as men, I know it's hard for us to be transparent, authentic sometimes because we want, you know, we're seen to be the successful, you know, we've got to be successful, right? But it's okay. Uh, as long as we know in our hearts that we're trying to fail forward, uh, we're aligned with the Father, doing the best we can, but at the same time seeking his will on a regular basis and going to the cross. And we live a life of repentance, which gives us great, great contentment. That's and so it reminds me of Romans 8 1. He says, Therefore, there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. And so we don't have to live this life of performance. We live the life at the cross daily, a life of repentance, a life of grace and love. At the same time, there is accountability. But the accountability is never salvation accountability. It is simply saying, Is this the way of the Lord? Mm. Mm, that's so good. That is so good. So while you're living out this journey in your home, you are also probably faith is probably seeping into how you lead in the corporate arena too. Is it, have you found it hard, Johnson and Johnson, Coca-Cola, some of these great industries that you've been in, have you found it hard to lead there with your faith out in front? Did you find that, you man, I shelved my faith on Monday. I'll pick it back up on, on Saturday when I get home. How has that whole journey of your faith being a part of your leadership worked out for you? You know, in the early beginnings, I was, uh, you know, petrified to put my faith out there. Uh, you know, there's many ramifications. You know, what do I say? Who do I say it with and to? Do I pray for my staff? I mean, you, you go through all those thoughts because what you're thinking about is security. 
Yeah. Yeah. You're mm -hmm. thinking about if I say the wrong thing or pray, or maybe I'm offending someone. I don't want to offend someone and things of that nature. So, um, what I attempt to do is live a life of values and, uh, and principles. I mean, who in the workplace uh, doesn't want an employee that have integrity? Hmm. Uh, who uh, in the workplace doesn't want an, an employee with, that practices and try to practice this honesty? Uh, who in the workplace doesn't want someone that has a character like that? And so we, we want these these type of people, we just say, don't talk about Jesus. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's right. Don't that's talk right. about the source of these things. And so there's a way to present the principles and the tenets in which we live by without being offensive or, or you know, we're trying to be winsome and, and attractive, right? And so the way I, I, I practice that, to try to do the best I can, I, I probably fail more than that, but... But where I, I, I take a step uh, into what I'm calling these broken places uh, is I simply try to love well. I try to uh, say that everyone has intrinsic value, just what my father taught me years ago. And John talks about, uh, John Maxwell talks about how do we add value to people every day? It doesn't matter who they are and what they believe. My job is to add value to them every day. So that means I go in thinking about, hey, how is Mike doing today? How can I uh, encourage him or her today? How can I um, uh, give them a confidence that they can walk around and say, you know, wow, I, I appreciate that. And this is what happens. Uh, the same thing happened at home that happened at work. People start to ask, man, there's something different about you. Mm. Uh, what does this guy have that I don't have? How can he practice uh, that type of love or acceptance when maybe he just got, you know, called to the mat, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and he should have responded a different way, you know? And, and why isn't he seeking revenge or, or that sort of thing? You know, so what they see in you is a consistent humility. Hmm. It's a consistent surrendering sometimes. But at the same time, you can't hide who you are and what you believe or how you believe. Now, you don't have to you know, beat people over the head with that, but it's simply saying, um, I need to be bold about my faith, but at the same time, um, I'm sharing it in a way because I add the, I'm in a way that I'm trying to add value to. That's good. It, do you think that makes you a weaker leader? Do you think that that if you go, man, because we would almost say some of those are soft skills, you know, does that, does that, are people going to climb over the top of you and run past you? What have you learned in your years in business and in the corporate arena? You know, we have a saying here that if you show them how much you care, they'll know how much you care for them. Mm. And what has made me is a stronger leader. Mm. Because what's happened, people understand that you care about them. You, you love them, you trust them, you respect them. Uh, you respect the differences that's within you. And so once people know that you care about them, man, they'll, they'll lay down their life for you. They'll, they'll move forward. You know, I think about my career. I think about of the many people I've gone, you know, I've managed thousands and thousands of people. I've only had to terminate one in my 30-year career uh, for just you know, reasons of termination, it was uh, certainly appropriate. But I promoted 14 individuals as leading organizations today. 
And I talked to, to some of these individuals and I think about, it, I see, you know, what, what type of manager was I? How, did I make a difference in your life? And they come back and they say, you know, Terrence, you gave me every day, you gave me hope. You gave me the, mm. you know, you showed me that you cared. You showed me that you not only uh, cared about me in terms of what I was doing in the job, but you cared about me as a person. You cared about my family. You know, there's times where it had nothing to do with business, but yet we just sat down and talked about life, right? Talked about the family, talked about, you know, just things they were going through. I just, I wanted to just care for them at the same time. Um, they understood that I was caring for them mm -hmm. and not looking at them as some type of asset, some type of liability, you know, but looking at them as a person. And when we make an effort to add value to people daily and, and we thirst and hunger after that, you'll see a changed workforce. You'll see a, a committed team like you've never seen them before. So in my opinion, it makes you stronger. Uh, it makes you uh, more connected with your people. And I believe that everything rises and falls on leadership. Well, that's encouraging because we are, to, we are here to pour into our people which is, in my mind, is our greatest asset. No doubt about it. You know, and I know you spent a season uh, as CEO of the Fellowship of Christian CEOs. You worked with Christian leaders all over the country that were leading their companies. What encouraged you during that time? So here you, you leave an arena where you're in a very secular arena, leading and leading for Christ at Citibank and, and Coca-Cola and all these different places you've been and focus on the family season. But now you're, you're working alongside these Christian CEOs. What encouraged your faith during that season while you were with them? Well, you know, I'm a business guy at heart. I started my first business when I was six years old, wow. you know, and, uh, and it's very quickly, I'll tell you the story, I was motivated by the love of candy. Uh, my mom and I was coming home from church and we stopped at a convenience store in Chicago and, and I wanted some candy and uh, she refused to buy me some. And so she said, but I'll buy you some if you had some money. I said, mom, you don't have any money. I'm six years old. Like, you know, so I was watching as I was watching, I saw people returning what we call in Chicago pop bottles and they were getting, I don't know, five or 10 cents a bottle. I said, mom, we, we have a lot of these pop bottles at home we throw away every week. Why don't we save some of those? I can take them to the store, get a little money, and buy some candy. She said, great, I'll do it. So I started my first recycling business of pop bottles at six years old. And then I noticed a lot of my neighbors uh, had the same pop bottles. So I went to them, and they sent them outside. I collect them. So I had to get my transportation together, that shopping cart that I took from the local grocery store. And I talked with the manager, told him I'll be bringing a lot of bottles in, and I Man, I was loading them up with a bunch of bottles. And and, and there was an interesting lesson my, my mom taught me. She said, well, Terrence, you're going to have to tie 10%. I'm like, what's this tithing thing? And what is 10%? I don't understand this. Yep. She said, well, you used to give a quarter, but now you make making big bucks. You might have to give more, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and then dad came back around. He was a big saving guy. He said, well, you're going to have to save 10% of the money. I'm like, what is this 10%? You know, like, that's 20%. I don't even know what 20% is, but it's 20 cents on a dollar. Man, that's a, that's a lot of money. So, you get the chance to keep 80, you know, and that's for your candy. So I, I began to do that. And, and, uh, and then I expanded my, because I, my territory grew so large. My friends saw that I was loaded up candy falling out of my pockets, you know, they wanted a piece of the action. So 
I gave, I split up my territory, sold them a piece, but I charged them 10% interest. I can get, so I started my franchise business. You know? That is awesome. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. So I, I share that story because one of the things we, we practice uh, in the marketplace, one, I have a heart for business, but I realize as a, as a leader in business, that God is the owner of the business, mm-hmm. but we are there to steward the business well. And so we were trying to you know, teach that the purpose of business, although, yes, you must make a profit to stay in business. That's, that's, that's the, you know, many of us go into business with the purpose of making money, but the greater purpose is something more. Mm. You see, when, you, when you're looking at that business as a way to steward it well, stewarding the resources, the human resources, the financial resources, et cetera. What's happening is there's a greater purpose there. It may be, uh, hey, uh, you know, think about it as that greater purpose is that your business can be used as a platform for ministry. Mm. Is that not greater than the profit that, that's coming in? And so those are the type of principles, you know, that, we're teaching that uh, your business has a greater purpose than shareholder value. But a lot of times we struggle because we think about Matthew 6, 24. We wrestle with the fact that, you know, I want to be in the world, but then I want another foot outside the world. And we turn the hat on and off on Sunday, um, Monday, and we turn and we can't talk about anything about Christ. And then Monday through Friday, we live this life without Christ. And then we try to figure out what's going on. Well, we can't do that. We are to live where we live, work, play 24-7, who we are, what we're about. And so what happens when we teach and be consistent about, hey, God's the owner of this business. I'm stewarding this business. What a great honor. Hey, integrity is a non-negotiable. Hey, prayer is the lifeblood of my business and of my life. Every decision, not small, not medium, not large, but every decision, let me go to the throne room first before mm. I make that decision. Mm. What if we start to teach that just because you are a Christian leader leading a company, that it doesn't mean you're necessarily better than a secular organization or better company. It just means you must be different. Mm. You see, what I shared earlier about with Johnson & Johnson, you know, it wasn't that Johnson Johnson was better, but you know what? Dr. James Burke taught us that we must be different. Mm. We must have a different focus, a different priority a different set of, of values that lead, guide, and direct us in our decision-making process. And that's what makes the difference when we talk about a Christian. But also, we must have a company that practice with excellence. If we're going to put that fish outside, we must let it, let it model excellence. And so we talked about what does it mean to be a kingdom leader and leading a kingdom company? And a kingdom company is striving for something that not just success, but significance. We talk about success. It's all about what we achieve, but significance. It's about legacy. It's about difference. And that's what we're after. How many, how many CEOs were involved when you were there? Yeah, so we had over uh, 1,200, 1,500 wow. CEOs, uh, 139 countries, uh, total uh, impact. If you look at worldwide, uh, there was probably over twenty-five to thirty thousand CEOs around the world. That's incredible. Uh, and they lived in small group setting, doing life on life. Uh, see, I was a product of discipleship. Um, 
later in my life, as the Lord was turning my life in a major way, I realized I couldn't do it alone. Mm. I needed other people in my life to sit with me and, and not only share the gospel and talk about it, not only pray for me, not only, you know, go through equipping, whatever lessons, et cetera, but I needed accountability. Mm. And I think the one thing we're missing today is accountability in love now, but accountability. Because, you know, we talk about trust and respect. And what I tell my employees, I'm certainly going to probably fall short, but my will and intention is never meant to do that. So just know that I'm always thinking about your will, even if I fall short. And they trust me in that. And so I need accountability in my life. I need the folks who tell me, hey, Terrence, have you thought about this a different mm-hmm. way? Have you, have you looked at this from a, from a different perspective? Right? And so those are things that drove me and connected me. And when, it, when you put other people in your life, and really I'm talking about real life-on-life discipleship, yep. not just a small group who kind of sit around and talk about the football game on Sunday. I'm not yep. talking about that. That's, that's great. Nothing wrong right. with it. Right. But I'm talking real life on life, and there's real prayer, real accountability. Guys are walking with you. You know, people are saying, hey, let's examine that. Without that, boy, our flesh, it can, it can kind of go to the, yes, it can. To, to the off-ramp a little bit more than we need to. That's so good. So you, you're there, man. You sort of planted yourself, and then you get a phone call. You get a phone call from the Maxwell organization Talk to me a little bit about that transition out of what you were doing to what you're doing now. How did that, how did that whole thing, how did you know it's not like either company has a better purpose than the other. Both are led by great people. Both have a great core value behind them. How did you know God was leading you to doing what you're doing now? You know, one of the principles I'll talk about is transformational leaders consistently multiply. Hmm. And they make the effort every day to add value to people daily, but they also hunger and thirst for something significantly greater than they can can ever desire. Well, when I received the call, it was really to help John and his team find someone for the position I'm in as president of equipment and John National Leadership Foundation. So uh, I was trying to help him find someone for this position. (laughs) And uh, and months went by, they called me, return call and said, Terrence, we don't understand why you're out, why you're not looking at this. And I said, I'm totally content with what I'm doing. I mean, we just grew from six to 139 countries in the past six years. I mean, just phenomenal was taking place. Uh, the, the ministry was very healthy and strong and, 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 and we took it from a place that had never been. And I said, guys, why would I want to do this and start over? And I was president and CEO and now I'm stepping into a president's role. And some might say, are you taking a step backwards? You know, and um, so I, I went and said, Lord, I, I don't know what you're doing here, but just make it clear to me what you want me to consider. And for a couple of months, um, I rested there. I didn't really respond. And then uh, just to move it forward, I, I went to my wife, which is a source that I, I always go to and get encouraged by and sometimes not encouraged by, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I asked her, what do you think? And she said, well, I think you need to at least look at it. And uh, I said, that didn't make any sense. And so I did. I began to pray through it. And so the decision, remember, every decision you've got to pray through it. And so 
uh, when I talked to the John, I talked about his, you know, what, what his vision was and where he was going and what he was trying to accomplish. And it was the same. It aligned with me. And so it took me back to a journal note that I made in June of 2004. And that journal note said, as I was flipping through the pages, looking for, remember that fourth year, I was looking for significance. I was looking, Lord, how will you use me? Three words on the page jumped out. Evangelize the nations. Mm. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm a discipleship guy. I mean, I'm so passionate about discipleship. But John said, you know, guys, right now, 60% of America and pretty much around the world is unchurched. What are we going to do to go outside of the four walls of the church and share the gospel news? Especially at a time when only 3% of Christians right now are sharing their faith. And so here I am. I thought about when is the last time I've, I've shared my faith and seen someone come to Christ? And I'm an elder in the church. I'm a teaching leader in Bible study fellowship. I'm involved in small group. I mean, I'm doing all the stuff. Yeah. But man, I'm living the life, but I'm not sharing the faith. Mm -hmm. He talks about in Genesis 1.28, not only how do we multiply, but how do we replenish the harvest? And talks about, obviously, we know the Great Commission and things of that nature, but here I am. Stymied and idled, if you will, complacent, but yet teaching others about faith and what to do. And so here I am with that position. And I looked at it and said, Lord, if this is what you have, I want to learn more. I want to explore. We talked about where John wanted to go, evangelize the nations. He had just reached 196 countries with million leader mandate. And now he says, Terrence, I realize that I need to come back around and pivot, not change, but just pivot and go into a, mo a mood and a movement of sharing the gospel around the world and seeing people come to Christ. He says, it's the need. And there it is on my notes, evangelize the nations. So I prayed through that. I talked to John. It was probably the toughest decision. I went to uh, FCCI and said, listen, I, I need to move on. It was a very tough decision. Even up to the 11th hour, I was doubting my decision. Mm. But a small voice that I can just tell you, I don't know what it, where it came, I don't even, I can't even tell you. I, I typically don't think it like that. It just says, do you trust me? Mm. Do you trust what I've been doing, what I've been preparing you for? And this is it. I didn't want another move. But he called me to this movement to evangelize the nations. And that's the calling for me. Mm. It's to see the gospel made known around the world. And here's why that's important to me, Mike, real quick. I grew up at a time in the 60s where civil rights was an issue. It's still an issue today. And we, we integrated our, I was in middle school, my, my I forced uh, three siblings, so they were in high school. And we integrated in Chicago, and I remember the first day where people were waiting outside of our school, and it wasn't a, a, a friendly confrontation. Well, my sister was in high school, and and she probably suffered much greater than I did. And at 16 years old, she dropped out of high school and she stopped believing in everything that she had been taught. Mm. And she said, if such hatred could come from people who believe in a quote unquote blue eyed Jesus, I want no part of it. And I realized at that moment what hatred can do to a person or hatred can do to a society. And in the last days of her life, it reminded me that never again should an individual leave this earth without at least hearing the good news of the gospel. That changed my life. 
And so, yes, it's it's great that we're living on our faith and things like that. That's great. That's awesome. Keep doing that. But is there something greater where I want to see people to know who he is and what he's done? I don't have the power of redemption. I don't have the power, but I do have the power and the and the privilege and honor to share who he is and what he's done on the cross and let the spirit work within them for transformation. And boy, can, y'all have watched some great things happen too, haven't you? And watched some great things happen. Mm. I mean, to date, the Lord has just blessed us despite us, believe me. We take no credit for this. It's a very humble statement. But this year, in the last, actually the last 18 months, to see 103,000 people come to Christ. Mm. I mean, FCCI was a great organization of discipleship, but we weren't seeing people come to Christ. Mm. And here at the Maxwell Organization, we're seeing people come to Christ. And to me, I had to say, for at this moment in my life, and there's no comparison A versus B, but for this moment in my life, is there anything great? So for me, it's it's, it's like, man, I go to work, I'm smiling every day. I, I get a chance to, to share Christ, to, to just tell what he's done, and, and, uh, and seeing people say, here I am, Lord. I, I want the same thing. I mean, I'm, I'm so happy. I don't know what to do. <laughs> well, I love that because everybody knows the Maxwell organization for putting out great leadership products. I mean, we know about, you know, the five levels of leadership. We know about, you know, leadership, his quote, leadership is influence is probably the leadership quote. Everybody knows across the world. He spits out a book. It seems like every other month he's throwing out a new book. He's got great stuff, but there's a bigger why going on behind the scenes in there that's driving the company, all of that's feeding what you're doing, correct? That, you know, that's correct. And, and, and listen, I mean, John Maxwell is probably the most prolific leadership uh, guru, coach, speaker, et cetera, in the world. Uh, and, and, you know, if you think about it, John has been teaching leadership uh, for well over four or five decades. Uh, and so that, that opened the door. Uh, for the opportunity for us to train leaders all around the world. We've trained leaders in 196 countries, over 7 million leaders uh, through Equip. And now we get a chance to still uh, share values and leadership training with leaders. Uh, uh, But now we're looking at something on the Equip side uh, in terms of sharing the gospel message through a programming called Salt and Light. It's really a movement. I don't refer to it as a program. It's really a movement where associate trainers are from, from the U.S., I'll think of them as missionaries. Uh, we train them and instruct them on how to bring salt and light to the nations. The efforts are mobilized in the local country, and so that you know all that work is done by the local leader there. We're coming in as missionaries, if you will, associate trainers, and train them on the process of salt and light, which is a round table, uh, kind of uh, 12 lessons and we're training them on that process and how to lead round tables. And then these facilitators go and multiply that and reach unchurched people. And so we're just sharing values and leadership principles that are biblically based, if you will. And people are asking the question, well, who is this, you know, what is the greatest relationship? What's the most important relationship? And we ask for permission. Can we share what we think that greatest relationship is? And we think that it's something greater than any of us. Mm. And we have the opportunity to share who God is and what he's done, who his son is. It is just uh, an amazing thing. I love that. 
I love that. You know, and it's, that's why you, it makes all the, cause I know how John started back in the day at Skyline and it makes all of this make sense. And you're going, okay. So God has used all of that for a much bigger purpose than just buying a great leadership book and being a great leader. There, there's a, there's a bigger why going on behind it. If people want more information, Terrence, a lot, maybe a leader's listening. They're going, man, I had no idea that they were doing all that. How can they get more information on equip and what you guys are doing across the world? Yes. Yeah, I equip.org. I equip.org. And uh, all the information's there. If you're a church, if you're a pastor and leader, there's a section for the church. There's a section for uh, just associate trainers and all the information is there. And, um, you know, Lord's opening up uh, doors all around the world um, this year just to see 75 countries open up. Uh, we're in need of 35 associate trainers. We can't open 35 more countries because we don't have associate trainers ready to go. So we need missionaries ready to go and, uh, and comporting the people, that's you so know, and, and that's, that's our prayer for today. And, uh, you know, I think about this, you know, is enough ever enough, mm. you know, uh, and, and what I don't want to do is take handcuffs off of people and try to put another set of handcuffs on and say, you got to, you know, you have to do something for the Lord. Yeah. You know, you, you know, the Lord is, is calling you and he's, and he's paving your steps is what I can tell you. Ever since I was six years old, ever since I had the first opportunity, ever since I played baseball, whatever it was, all along the way, he was teaching me principles that I'm applying today. Mm. So if you have a heart and a mind for the Lord, we can use you. And, and we're looking for average people, you know, yep. who want to do extraordinary things that's bigger than them. And they want to talk about a life of significance and something greater. We have the platform to make that a reality. What's next for you? Here, here you are at an incredible place in life, um, living in a great city here in Atlanta, man, just doing something you love to do. How do you want to finish your run? What do you see as the next for Terrence Chapman, what would you say? Well, if it, Lord's willing, I mean, this is what I want to do. I want to evangelize the nations. I want to uh, see people come to know who he is and what he's done. And then as an elder in the church as well, I want to pour into them and have them go deeper in their faith. You know, I think about my life. Hebrews 6, 1 certainly touched me and talked about how do we move on from this issue of milk? You know, this milk that we keep, we keep talking about the milk. Yep. But he says, oh, at some point we have to go on and there's some meat. <laughs> okay. That's right. Yeah. And so uh, I'm in the meat phase of my life. I, I feel like I've, you know, I've accomplished some things, nothing, you know, nothing overly great. I mean, I, most people would say I've been successful, quote unquote. I, I don't know if I have been, but I do know that I seek this life like an impact, just another life. You know, I think about, you know, Joshua 2.10, I mean, Judges 2.10, just just one, one generation after Joshua died, an entire nation fell away because they stopped practicing the things. We could be in that moment, but, and I think about what we're doing today is planting seeds for generations to come. You know, when John trained that 7 million leaders over a 13-year period, we were planting seeds for today. Mm, mm. And so that's what I want to do. I I want to I want to plant some seed. I want to harvest some. And but I, I tell you, uh, I'm asking the Lord every day, what's His will for my life? Uh, how can I have an impact on others daily? 
How can I care for people daily? How can I hopefully give them an opportunity to, to do something greater than themselves? And I believe in this. Uh, I'm here to help people do something that they can't do on their own. I want them to try to think about something that's bigger than them that they can't do by themselves. And we present here. Terrence was sharp, wasn't he? He was a guy, it was so funny, I had heard so much about him through his time at Equip, but I didn't know him. And man, getting to sit down with him, there was no doubt the passion that he has, not only for what he does, but for the Lord. And his his passion to help families be all that they can be and help parents be all that they can be is really, really unmatched. And his curriculum that he has put out and the books that he's producing are meant to help you. They're meant to help me. You know, we get one shot at parenting. I can screw up in some things at work and somebody will replace me. But I really can't screw up this thing at home. And that's the greatest gift we've all been given. And I think when I left my time with Terrence, that was what I left with, is he has got an amazing passion for families to be all that they were created to be. And you know who else has a passion for that? The Lord does. And I hope you'll go and pick up his resources. I hope you'll tune into his podcast where he's helping people be all that they were created to be. Terrence, thank you so much. We're all better for our time with you. Well, as we get ready to wrap up 2019, I can't think of a better way uh, to give you another gift than to give you the gift of listening in on my conversation next time with Mr. Anthony O'Neill from the Dave Ramsey Group. Anthony's story is so compelling, and it is so strong, and it is such a picture of God's grace and God's goodness in our lives. I can't wait. For episode 64. But until then, if you enjoyed this episode, go and leave us a review on iTunes. Share this episode with a friend. It helps us and it helps it get in the hands of people that may not know about us. Thanks again for tuning in and go be the leader that you were created to be in the space and the place that God has put you. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.